0: So welcome to our Early Years podcast with me, Kate Moxley, and the very wonderful Kerry Payne, EYFS for me, you may know her as, consultant and trainer, um, lecturer uh, specialising in inclusion. Um, thank you for joining us, Kerry. You're very welcome. I'm excited to be here virtually. Yes, virtually chat with you um, during this lockdown time. Um, It's obviously a very weird and worrying time um, for all of us. Um, And so um, we connected um, on Instagram, didn't we? I think, um, you know, in this um, weird world we're living in at the moment. But um, I think um, social media for lots of us has been a real way of connecting and
1: keeping in touch with people, a real lifeline at the moment. Yeah, definitely weird and wonderful, um, the social media platforms. So, yeah, been a good yeah. way of in contact.
0: Yeah, and, and so I think that's one of the wonderful things these days about social media and, I suppose, earlier's um, professional development is that without realising it all the time, we access little snippets, little nuggets of information that inform our practice or inspire ideas. Um, lead us to read d- different things or be inspired by different things. Um, and so um, I, I'm always fascinated to see what is going on on in your Instagram account because you are always doing some wonderful um, different things. So you specialize in inclusion and SEN, but actually last Mental Health Awareness Week, you contributed a blog for us um, on depression and you were quite open and honest with that. And, and so we decided to come together to record a series a series of um, podcasts to put out around Mental Health Awareness Week for our early years workforce. And so um, I suppose, you know, with that comes a certain amount of vulnerability, doesn't it? So you sharing that blog last year for Mental Health Awareness Week on your own experiences
1: and mental health issues um, is really powerful for lots of people to hear. Yeah um, and I think obviously when you first approached me about it um, I've always kind of created that separation between my professional and personal life and, and being very nervous to show that the kind of vulnerable aspects of my personality, because I think when, when most people meet me, I'm, I'm, I'm quite outspoken and quite happy and, you know, you know, quite a, a vocal person, but I do, Live with depression. Sometimes I suffer from, um, but I mostly live with it there in the background. Um, I experience lots of anxiety. Have have a lot of periods of depression, but I'm I'm definitely a functioning person. You know, I can have depression and, and go out and live in the world. I can still be passionate about and um, what I do within my professional life. So obviously, when you approached me originally, it was, I think it was me wanting as well to kind of convey to the people that I work with and to you know obviously social media following that I am human I am you know my roots are in alias and being a practitioner and I've battled through some really difficult times within my career because of the impact of depression and um, and just I suppose as well being comfortable myself to label myself that way because and I know I've spoken to you about this before but I on occasion, can get a little bit of the ick of oh, I don't want to, I don't want to admit that because I want to see them all, you know, singing and all dancing. But actually, I, I face it, I deal with it, um, and and it, it has created greater connections with people because they can see that I'm human, and and yeah, it's just something that there. So yeah, absolutely, I just want to pick you up on the
0: language and terminology that you use there, um, and yeah. we are you know, really moving forward, I think, in how we talk about mental health now within within our profession, within early years. So, um, you know, for those people that are perhaps maybe not familiar with my experience is that I started out as a consultant and trainer and didn't talk to people about the very reason that I'd started um, trying a new career progression of being self-employed was because of the mental health issues that I'd experienced but I was too scared to talk to people about it and I didn't talk to people about oh this is why I'm finding myself here because I felt that people wouldn't want to use or work with me as a consultant or trainer if they thought I had mental health issues and it was like a guilty secret Um, and I think once I realized actually how many people were experiencing stress and how many people were experiencing difficulties and I was open that's when I really I suppose found my purpose if that makes sense without sounding really cheesy but and so along the last couple of years how we talk about mental health especially in early years has really changed Um, and people are being more open and honest and like you said it's a big part of your life and you know For some people, um, you know, myself included, I have to accept that as part of myself. But the language and terminology that you use then was um, live with. And was it live with that you said and suffer from? And so I say experience sometimes because I try not to say suffer from. And the reason that I pick it up is because um, I think it's helpful and useful for people to feel comfortable with the language that they use um, and so it was really interesting to hear you describe it like that then
1: yeah and i think so the language so for a long time um, i stopped saying the, the term suffer from um because it's similar to yours kind of like no it needs to be normalized and and um it's it's often a continuous experience for some people, and I think when I use that language, what I'm trying to convey to people is that I am a, a an adult that lives with depression. I've had depression from from being a very young age. actually as a child, I remember you know very, very dark um, moods and, and very I'm a very cynical thinker actually um naturally I'm, I'm I'm quite kind of a I think on the negative side of life and um, i'm quite existentialist some people say so i think very kind of negatively and i have to really challenge and work on that so i live with depression um, and i manage it and on occasion it becomes a suffering for me so um you know i'll wake up most days and i'll kind of it, it might be the what's that thing is it the the black dog yeah it's always there in the background and most days i can get up and live with it and but there are occasions and I've started to use the term suffering again because sometimes I want to be able to say to people, "I'm, I'm suffering." Most it's days, how much it hurts. yes yeah. how much it hurts right now. Yeah. So with my my husband, for example, if we're having a conversation, he kind of can pick up on the different terminology that I use. So I'm I'm okay today. It's there. That dog's there, and whatever. And then there'll be the day where I go, "No, I'm suffering." And I think when I'm using that term, it's almost. I need help to get through it today or I need you to do the the, the things that you know are going to help me or, you know, and that sometimes leave me alone and don't speak to me for 12 hours. But uh, yeah, I think language is so is still so new to us in mental health like you never quite know which way you should step forward with it so I think it's great that there's a dialogue and a safe space to kind of go what how do we describe what this mental health world is so absolutely and I think that's really key isn't it a lot of
0: times um I'm discovering that Um, people when they talk about mental health we know that people align it with mental illness so when we talk about mental health what people are really saying is it means mental illness and actually we know that you know every single one of us has mental health and still meet people now who and that's because of the world that we've lived in and you know with what we hear in the press and the media that mental health is something negative so when someone's experiencing mental health issues it's always viewed as something that someone wants to get rid of and of course like any illness we don't want to be ill but at some point we have to accept that this is part of who we are and that we're always going to have it and that's part of our kind of story and I think that's a a positive conversation to, to have as well and I think especially in early years we we worry um about offending someone and saying the wrong thing when it comes to Especially to mental health, and so when that happens, people just don't say anything, and it kind of the issue gets worse, it becomes a bigger a bigger thing
1: because we, yeah. we don't feel comfy to talk about it. yeah, and something you said there about um you know we view mental health as an or when we look at mental illness or our experiences of mental illness, I think that's a really good point that if somebody said do you want to get rid of your depression? I would kind of be like, "Mm, it's kind of formulated who I am as an adult. So um, I don't know about yourself and if you've ever experienced kind of those deep um, sessions of depression, but it makes you when you come out of that and when that time does pass, appreciate the contentedness that follows or the feeling of safety or security. And, And I it's, it's that spectrum of feelings, isn't it? And I always talk about this strength of weakness theory by Alan DeBotton, who I'm in love with. But he talks about, you know, we experience the bad, but there's always a polar opposite. So if you are somebody who experiences depression, um, it doesn't mean that you are just depression. There'll be those positive aspects of that as well. And it's that balance and act, isn't it? And and when depression hits me, it's not for a while, you know, touch words even in lockdown, it's not hit. Um, but when it does hit... There's a book that we talked about in the podcast that we did um, a while ago, um, When Sadness Comes to Call, and that the whole message is around. Sometimes you just have to sit with it because by sitting with it and acknowledging it and almost embracing it leaning in a little bit it's sometimes that action that enables you to think about actually there is a polar opposite to this feeling and I will be back in that polar opposite at some point or I will travel through different sets of feelings and all those feelings are kind of valid aren't they so that's how I try to view it I don't know if that's the right way but it's the way I do it
0: no, it's, it's really interesting to hear you talk it through. And actually for, for, for myself, um, how I understood it was that I'd experienced a lot of stress that stress had led to anxiety, which was quite high functioning. And I was still trying to operate, you know, still trying to navigate my way through different things. Big life events were happening and I didn't have the capacity then to deal with it, which then led to depression. But I think like you say, there are times that I can look back in my life and think actually I was experiencing, experiencing something then, but I just didn't either realize it or I didn't get the help or I didn't get the support whatever that might have been but my way of coping and going through it was making sense of well I experienced the stress and the anxiety and the depression and that was what made me um you know unwell and so this is what I need to do to make myself feel better but then when it came back again I could. I, I then couldn't understand it. I thought, hold on, how I made sense of it before was I've ex- been experiencing this and this and this. Well, actually, those aren't happening for me now. And it's come back
1: again. And hold on. I yeah. And it's weird, isn't it? I, again, I don't know if we've spoken about this before, but um with with stress anxiety and depression the times at which it chooses to hit you is mm. often so bloody random so i remember when i went freelance and I, I was you know what you would define as successful i was doing really well and people were you know reaching out to me i was getting wet left right and center and i felt in this like wow i've made it I've never it is one of the hardest periods of depression that I've ever had and that was that was last year actually yeah. to the point where I was like I don't want the success I don't want to feel wanted by people I don't want demand um, and I was re- it, it, it appeared as though I was being quite selfish but it was like depression has hit me at a time when I should be on you know buzzing to be honest yep. and that's what's in. Um, that's what's sometimes cruel about depression and anxiety is it it's got its own agenda and it's going to hit um because obviously often those things are, are triggered by subconscious things um and so yeah it, it's weird when it comes and, and that like you said there about the processing um you know, I sit there ruminating. Why? Why is this happening? Like, where's it come from? What's the underlying feeling? And, and sometimes it's so hard to work through. When you're trying to then manage everyday life, it's just it's yeah. a bit complicated, isn't it? <laughs> so. Yeah. And like you said, what we try to do is fix it. And that's really hard, hard
0: to be able to... Because there isn't one, one thing to fix it. There isn't one solution. But mm-hmm. also the thing with depression is that it tricks you. And I, how I find it happens to me is it's taken over my thoughts and feelings. It's tricked me before I've realized it's tricked me again. And then it takes everything to be able to work back through that and be like, this isn't actually true. This isn't right. But if it sucked me so far in, I can't find the words to reach out to people. Even though I know there are people around me who want to support me, I I, I just I cannot do it. Um, and so that's that's so hard, isn't it? It does just have a
1: way of tricking you and isolating you and making you feel so lonely. It hijacks the minds. That's the only way I can describe it. Like. And, you know, obviously when you're with your loved ones or people that you're close to, like my husband now can tell me before I know that I'm depressed, Yeah, we'll start to see the the signs and things. Um, And yeah, that's the only way I can describe it. It feels like a hijack of the mind and um there's not necessarily like you've just said there is no um specific fix each time it could be a different thing or it could be resolved in a different way um, and as you know like I go to therapy um, weekly and you know I'm, I'm on the fourth fifth year in therapy I still need it because it just it knocks the wind out of your sails. It, every time depression hits me, it's uh, b- as big a shock as the last time. And that's not to kind of suggest hopelessness in it. It's to it's to kind of almost give that reassuring message that it's okay if you do experience depression. That that is that is the the, the nature of the beast. It will shock you as much as it did the time before. Um, but there is there is a way um, forward because you know it's the one foot in front of the other, and it it, it often resolves. Mostly naturally, and with caring for yourself, you know, being kind to yourself, I think is a is a big thing in depression. Um, you well, know. Well, yeah. Well, uh, what I was going to add, rather than it, that being that the, you know, talking about it, the not being a
0: hope for recovery, actually, I think it gives hope that you can We can go through these things, and that you know, w- we know things that work for us, and we test them out and try them out. I think it is family friends those people around us that reach in or know the signs and know how to support and i think that you know that's really important i suppose it's really difficult when you work in early years and you work with children and you're feeling like this because actually it doesn't make sense to you so it doesn't make sense to other people and it's not something people can see so people can you know i suppose trying to go out to work and explaining that this is how you're feeling or not being able to do that is hard
1: oh it's do you know what and that is the the passion for me and as a a consultant level it's a thing i never allow myself to let go of and it's why i've become so probably passionate about if anybody criticizes early as practitioners it's like i hold on to that Memory of when I was running i think it was a forty eight place preschool, and on the days when depression came to call and you love those little ones, but looking after um, looking after and educating children and navigating staff relationships and parents when you are carrying the weight of depression is is i take me hats off to the high number of educators that we know are dealing with that every day and i think that we as consultants as advisors as advocates we can make that a bit easier by by having their backs and by recognizing that you know sometimes it can be the actual workplace that triggers that depression it can be the experiences of the earliest workforce because we know it's so difficult and so i think that's why a lot of the work that i do it's about I don't care your qualification level. I don't care your contextual situation or your background or your bad points or whatever people talk about. What you do, you're doing your best, and we need to make sure that we we prop you up when you're trying to do that because it's bloody hard. Absolutely, and I think added
0: to everything you just said, sometimes there's shame and guilt around it because you might not have been able to open up. You you know, I know I certainly felt when I started to return to work as a manager of a large setting in a school where I think one of my strengths as a practitioner was the relationships that I had with parents and families and children, especially. And I didn't, they knew I was off work. And I, I felt such an amount of, of guilt and shame at the time because I never had those conversations about why I was off. And so it was almost like, you know, the elephant in the room. And, and I suppose one of the things I talk about a lot now is, Um, you know creating that safe space at work where you can show up and not be okay that it's okay to not be okay that it's okay to not be you know, feeling yourself or have a lot go on, that you can show up and, and have that because there's a there was, a, um, you know, a bit of a message out there for a long time, you know, leave your problems at the door and go to work. Mm-hmm. But my view is, and I've probably said this, maybe I've said this to you even before, is that if I'm working the amount of hours that it requires to, to work in an early years, um, provision you know sometimes 40 50 more hours a week I hope that the people I work with truly care about me I hope that they want me to be able to say this is what's or, you know know enough about me to to not want me to hurt or feel unwell well or feel alone
1: yeah and I think some of that comes down to um this process of forgiveness as well so Um, when I was an educator strangely enough my manager was my sister and my deputy manager was my mum so they both knew at the time the significance of my depression I think what I didn't acknowledge is that they had to live with it personally and professionally Um, and what I struggled with at the time is that I felt like if I had an off moment or a bad day or if I'd done something that wasn't necessarily the best thing I knew that sorry would fall on deaf ears and it was like well you know just crack on leave your baggage at the door you're here to do a job you're here for children you're here for this and I think sometimes we can be so unforgiving of people's actions in a period of depression or anxiety and it's about it's about believing that people are doing their best it's about finding it within yourself to to find forgiveness and but then to also set boundaries as well so you know I think what was really good with having a a mum and a sister as management is they set those boundaries and we 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 set up a system where where that forgiveness had to be cultivated over time and but yeah just yeah I think forgiveness of of each other is really important although I know it can be hard to do we can hold grudges can't we Oh, absolutely. And I suppose, um, you know, it isn't, I
0: suppose, nothing's ever perfect, is it? So, but it's just, I suppose, that the that ultimate thing is that empathy, isn't it? And knowing that that place we work is the right place for us. So um, we're going to be recording a series of different uh, podcasts, kind of just having these conversations, talking things through that hopefully other early years practitioners, people working within our sector, um, who are either navigating their way through this role with mental health issues, or in turn, they're trying to support team members with mental health issues, might be able to help support and raise some different awareness. So thank you for chatting with me today. And I look forward to our next chat. Thank you. Bye.